You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. All right, church family, we are going to be in Matthew 20, and we're going to talk about something that I am just absolutely thrilled with because I'm one of these guys that I I love the idea of striving for greatness. I mean, I love that. I mean, I, I, I just think it's there's something in all of us that desires to make something of our lives, if you will, all of us. Uh, we are... We are concerned about destiny. You know, what is our destiny? What is our calling? Now, if you're a Christian, you already know where your destiny is when it comes to eternity. Amen? That's settled in heaven. But there is something God has called us to do. We were born for greatness. Now, lest you think I'm about to give a Tony Robbins pep talk or some sort of a, your best life now. And give you a bunch of jibber-jabber about all... No, no. This is not a motivational speech. This is a biblical sermon. What I'm going to talk with you about for the next few moments is what the Bible says is real greatness. Now, later on in the message, not now, but later on, I'm going to make this statement and I'll say it again. But I want to say it now and then later I want it to be something you write down in your notes. But for now... I want to say it like this, that you will never, listen, you'll never get the wind under your spiritual life this year, in 2019, until you understand this truth. You just won't. I'm convinced of it. And I'll tell you why as the message continues to develop. All right? So Matthew 20, let's look at it, shall we? Are you there? It, I always have a text. I always have a text. I, I, I don't always put things on the screen. And I'll tell you why. My strategy there is not... To not be a good steward of technology. But I've always been convinced as a pastor. Maybe it's old school. But I believe that it's important for us to have God's word. Whether it's in our phones, our iPads, or a paper Bible. You know, uh, you know I, I just think it's good to turn somewhere or you know, scroll somewhere and have the word of God before you. So that's why I always have a text that I don't put on the screen. Hope that's okay. Here we go. You ready? Look at verse 20. Let's get introduced to this text. It's an awesome text. What does God say about real greatness? Here we go. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons. Who are these people? Who was this mother and her two sons? Well, let me tell you who they were. The two sons' name were James and John. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Uh, who, who, who is familiar with the inner circle of Jesus Christ? He had three disciples that he was super close to. Their names were Peter, James, and John. Right. So this would be, of those three, this would be James and John. And they were called in the book of, I know it was Luke. I believe it was Luke. It may have been another gospel. You know what they were called? Interesting. This is cool. You know what their nickname was? The Sons of Thunder. Ah. Why were they the sons of thunder? Well, there was this little situation that was taking place where Jesus was teaching and people were giving Jesus a hard time. They were heckling him potentially. They were, you know, laughing or whatever it was, mocking Jesus. And you know what James and John came up with? A bright idea. They said, Jesus, why don't we just call down fire from heaven and strike these boys dead? And Jesus rebuked them. 
But I think he gave them a correct nickname, <laughs> the Sons of Thunder. Their zeal was off the charts. Uh, these were men who were with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. These were men who went with him into the Garden of Gethsemane to pray prior to his crucifixion. Who was the mother? Her name was Salome or Salome or Salami. Anyway, uh, something like that. And, and, and Salome, she was a, a great lady as well. Very well known in scripture. Very close to Jesus. Very close. In fact, to be honest, the dialogue we're going to be reading a moment, in a moment, you got to be close to Jesus to have this kind of conversation with him. This is pretty, this is just real transparent, very forthright. Uh, you know, it, it's somewhat uh, startling the way that she spoke to him, actually. This would have been the one of the ladies who was with Jesus at his uh, burial. She would have been one of the ones who would have anointed the body of Jesus. I'm just letting you know, these were very close to Jesus, people that were close to Jesus. It says, they came up, uh, she came up to him with her sons, kneeling before him. And she asked him for something. And he said to her, what do, what do you want? Now, you know, that's an interesting question because when we think about that question, doesn't it remind you of, there, there's several ways that you could articulate, you know, what do you want? What do you want? See the difference? <laughs> As I read that, I wonder which one it was. I, I kind of think it might have been more like, what, what do you want? <laughs> I think you'll see as the story goes on that there was, there was an interesting nuance to this, to, this, to this conversation. What do you want? And she says to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand, and one at your left in your kingdom. Say that, Jesus. Say that right now. I want you to say that. It wasn't like, oh, say that. It wasn't like that. It was, say this, Jesus. Because she knew if Jesus would say it, he would have to do it. He wouldn't go back on his word. So, Jesus, I want you to say this. Say that when my two sons get to heaven, one's going to be on your right hand and one's going to be in your left hand. Say that. Now, to us... We're like, okay, what's the big deal about sitting? Who cares where you sit at the table? Are we, to us, that's not a big deal. I mean, most of us, when we go to the dinner table, it's Father, Son, Holy Ghost, one's the fastest gets the most, right? I mean, come on. It's like just find an empty seat and make sure you're closest to where the food is, you know. But to them, this would have meant position. This would have meant status. There was something to this request. And so Jesus answers, you do not know what you are asking. You don't have a clue. Notice his next statement. He says, are you able to drink the cup of, that I'm able to drink, that I'm going to drink? You see, Jesus was speaking about the cup of his suffering. He said, you don't know what you're asking. Do you understand what's going to happen? You know, do you know that I'm going to die? I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be crucified. The crown of thorns will be placed in, in my brow. The, the nails in my hands and feet. The spear in my side. I mean, there was so much suffering here. And, and they... They, so Jesus says, do you know what you're asking? And this is what they said. Notice they said to him, James and John, the sons of thunder said, we're able. Oh yeah, we got this. Sure, Jesus, why not? <laughs> we're able. I love his answer. He does say that you will drink my cup. Something interesting about that is in Matthew chapter number 26, verse 56, the Bible says that all the disciples forsook him and fled. When Jesus was crucified, everybody bowed out. 
Nobody stood with him but John at the foot of the cross and his mother. That was it. Everybody else forsook him and fled. But church, what happened when the Holy Spirit came in Acts chapter 2? And the Holy Spirit brought an anointing, a power. And these same men who walked away from Jesus at the cross now served him. And actually, John, you want to know what John did? John was beheaded for the cause of Christ. You know about, uh, or rather James, I'm sorry, James was beheaded. John was exiled to the Isle of Patmos, totally stranded on an island for the rest of his life, was inspired to write the book of Revelation. These men truly did suffer for Christ, but not until the Holy Spirit came. Let me tell you something I learned from that, is you and I can't serve Jesus without help. We need the Holy Spirit. There's no way to do it on our own. We're not able, so they were wrong. We are able. No, you're not. It should have read like this. We are able, God, with your help. That's the only way we're able. But here we continue to read. He says, you, you will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand or to sit at my left hand, that's not mine to grant. But it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my father. Now, I want you to notice here the first note in your worship guide. Let's talk about what is happening here. And let me make this statement. And that is this, that real greatness, number one, is not found in position. Because what this was all about was, hey, I'm seeking a position. I am seeking status. I want to be known. I want to be on the in crowd. I want to be popular. I want status. I want a, I want a title. God was not necessarily rebuking them, though, for their desire to be great. Here's what he was doing, and here's what the purpose of the message is this morning. Listen to this. Don't miss this. Very important as you begin to ask the Holy Spirit to help you to to get what you need today. Jesus was restructuring their mindset as to how they viewed what real greatness was. He wasn't saying, don't be great. He was just saying, be careful about how you define Greatness. You can be the pastor of a church and not at all be great. Can I confess to you that for years I I learned and actually much of it rubbed off on me. I want to say this, thanks be to God and, and the Holy Spirit, that I never was comfortable with it, and that's probably why I got out of it. But I I truly Bought into this greatness is preaching, having people applaud you, and then signing Bibles after, and everybody calling you doctor, reverend, or something really big. And so that's how this movement that I was in, it was all about popularity, status, title. By the way, let me just say this. I don't think... Any pastor should be called reverend. That name should only be for Jesus because he, he, deserve, he deserves alone the reverence that we would give any man. Nobody deserves to be revered like Jesus. Amen? So we, we aspire these titles. And I know that for many years, that's what I really thought was greatness. Was, am I popular? Am I the biggest? Am I the best? Am I the most well-known? Am I in with the in crowd? Am I sitting at the right hand of the big dog up in so-and-so? At the end of the day, I found out that I was a pretty lousy pastor. Oh, not everybody knew that, but the truth of the matter is, is I was leading out of a place of 
abused, I was abusing my authority. Just being honest. And I'll be more transparent as the sermon goes on. By the way, it sure is fun to be able to admit you're not perfect. It's like a blast. It's the best thing I ever learned in ministry. You can be the president of a company and, and not at all be great. You can be a prominent athlete and not at all be great. And I say this to all young people who, who look at athletes with so much revered, you know, a revered attitude. And, and you look at that as real greatness. Let, let me tell you something. That is not real greatness. You can be a prominent politician and not be great at all. Oh, the world may applaud you. Oh, they may ask to uh, you to sign uh, your autograph. They may want to shake your hand. But ultimately and eternally in God's eyes, you can have position and not be great. Greatness is not found in position. I am not my job. I am not my status. When you define your life by your position, that is not going anywhere good. And so what Jesus was looking for had nothing to do with where they sat at the table. Because greatness has nothing to do with position. Number two, greatness has nothing to do with power. God is not impressed with your authority. You know, Sometimes I think we just, you know, we, we get empowered by having power. We get a position that has power over others in whatever venue it may be in our lives where we feel that, you know, we just feel like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm in authority. I'm, I'm in charge here and I can kind of push my way around and manipulate others and, and power over people. God's not impressed with that. Look at Matthew chapter 20, if you would please, again, at verse 24. It says here... As we move forward in the text, let me get there. And when the ten, oh, I love this. Oh, this is so cool. I'm having a hard time seeing up here. I'm sorry. The lights are so strange. <laughs> and when the ten heard it. Everybody with me? So where were these guys? I thought it was Salome and the, and the two brothers. What's up with the ten? Here's what I'm picturing. You ready? Sometimes I get into stuff and I wonder if you're, if you're hearing the same thing I'm hearing. I think these 10 guys were probably like behind a rock or behind a wall and they're listening. And they had jump out, what? You know, you guys, you guys want great, you guys want to sit in this right? We're, hey, we want to be there. What about us, Jesus? We want a position too. We want to seat at the table too. So the 10 guys, the other disciples, I guess, right? 10 plus 2 is 12. 12 disciples, right? They come out and they, they're ticked off. That's the Capaci version. But my ESV here says, and when the 10 heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. They were ticked off. They were mad. I mean, it was getting out of control. You've got Salome. She's saying, I want my son to sit on your right hand and sit on your left. You got these two others, James and John, saying, we're able to do it, God. We're in. We want a position. We want power. You got ten guys coming out of a rock somewhere. Hey, what about us? I feel like sometimes as a coach, when I coach basketball and you call the timeout, this is how the sideline was. Especially with girls, when I coach girls. It's crazy. I'm going to kill her. She's done. He fouled me. I'm telling the referee. Everybody's coming to throw him. You ever seen this? You know, it's like, what's going on over there? It's even worse when the coach is out of control. <laughs> but sometimes I found when the coach just says, hey, guys, everybody in. Hey, come here, come here. Hey, settle down. I think that's what Jesus did. Look, look at it. Is it in your text like it is in mine? But Jesus called them to 
I'm reading into it maybe, but I, I see Jesus saying with compassion. Okay, guys, settle down. Salome, hold on. Everybody come in. Let me talk to you. And then he says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. You know that those in authority in the world, in the marketplace, in the se- in secular society, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, those who have authority and they abuse their authority. By the way, I want to put a plug in here for Authority who sometimes I think we give them a hard time, but we ought to be very grateful for the men and women of our police department who put their lives on the line for us every day. We ought to show respect and admiration and not lump. Hey, there's one or two bad apples in every group. There's a whole lot more bad preachers than bad policemen, trust me. Truth of the matter is we ought to show respect to that authority. I really think what he's talking about here is like the security guard at the mall. You know that guy? The guy that when you walk in the mall, you know, and you got a little lump in your back, hey, 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 let me see what's in your pocket. You know? Or like the TSA officer. Anybody ever seen one of those guys? Oh, it's crazy. I fly a lot. Go through the line, you know, and, and, and they look at you and you've got like one little penny. I'm going to pat you down. I'm going to touch you everywhere. Are you ready? <laughs> woo, woo! You know, like, whoa, I got a penny in my pocket. <laughs> Or like, if you went to Hiles Anderson, this would be the security guard at the front desk. You know what I mean? Like, you've showed your ID, you know, every single day of the year, and he's like, who are you? <laughs> no, no, I don't, I don't recognize you, you know. Call security. It's so funny. It's kind of those who, they go way over the top. They go over, they abuse their authority. Well, let's, let's look in the mirror for just a minute. Before we laugh too much at others, let's, let, let's look at ourselves. Can I give you five ways that we often abuse authority? Number one, I know I'm abusing authority when I, I, I keep reminding myself of my title and position. I keep reminding people. Okay, let me give you an illustration. Hey, guys, listen. Hey, look up here. I'm your pastor. You got that? Hey, wake up. Wake up. I'm the pastor here. Somebody, if I ever do that, needs to say, duh, we know that. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. Hey, I'm your dad. Hey, I'm the boss. I'm I'm the coach. When we are so enthralled with who we are in our title, in our position, watch out for that. Number two, I know I am abusing my authority when I expect or demand privilege. It's an abuse of authority. Can I confess something to you? Okay, this is really bad. In fact, I may need to sit down after I tell you this because you're going to think, good night. But I did get it right, so everything's good. I remember the time when I was like 10 years in, probably a couple others will remember this, when I actually requested for a parking spot at the church with my name on it. (laughs) I did. You say, Pastor, I cannot believe. Yeah. Hey, uh, could y'all give me a parking spot right, like close to the door, just, you know, reserved for the pastor? You may not think that's all that bad, but it is when you request it, okay? (laughs) I remember the day when I told, thankfully, you ready for this? Don't, Don't applaud, just... I remember the day when I said, take that stupid sign down. I feel like an idiot every time I pull up to it. And then I started parking farther away because, one, I like 
now that I got a watch, I like to see how many steps I can get. Amen. <laughs> Anybody else do that? But also, I realized, you know, I don't need the spot closest. That needs to be for a guest or a visitor or something. Amen. See, that was an abuse of my authority. Number three, I know I'm abusing my authority when I become comfortable with personal praise. We should be uncomfortable with personal praise. Not comfortable. When we enjoy, you know, hearing constantly, almost expect to hear that what a great job. You're the best. You're this. You're that. Let me tell you something. Here's a great thing to remember in Scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. But we have in this treasure jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to who? To God and not to us. God deserves the glory. John 3.30. He must what? Increase. I must decrease. So let's get that right. This is not about you and I receiving personal praise. There's nothing wrong with encouraging each other. And, and I appreciate the times when somebody says, Pastor, I really enjoyed your message. And, and be honest, I need that probably once out of 52, if you don't mind. I might help a little bit. Uh, you know. And I say that only to say that I'm human. You're human. We enjoy uh, hearing at times some encouraging words from another about our performance. I get that. I'm not discrediting that. I do that myself. But at the end of the day, when we get comfortable with that, we're abusing our authority. Number four, I know I'm abusing my authority when I'm resenting, reacting, or being threatened by challenges to my authority. When I use my position as persuasion, that is powering up over people. When I use my position, I'm your mother. I'm using my position as persuasion. Hey, boy, I'm your dad. You got that? Be very careful about that. You know what I found? I learned a great lesson along the way. And it's probably the reason why a lot of things transitioned here at Gospel Light. It's when I went from not explaining things, just saying, Hey, Dad, why are we wearing sweatpants and playing basketball? Son. That's the way it is, boy. Read the rule book. But, Dad, I don't get it. I mean, why? I mean, I, you know, they would say great things. Like, our shorts are, like, like longer than the girls' culottes. I mean, if you don't know what a culotte is, don't, you don't need to know. It, <laughs> they're satanic, okay? They are satanic. Trust me. It's the weirdest thing ever. So they'd ask me this question. Why, why are we wearing sweatpants? I mean, people would come into the gym and say... Did you guys forget to take off their sweatpants? Or why are they playing in pants? I mean, like a game. And my answer every time was just... Because. And then... Dad, what's wrong with... What's wrong with casting crowns? What, what's wrong with some of this good Christian music? Well... Um, I never had a Bible verse. I, I never went to Scripture. I just... Uh, don't ask, just obey. It's an abuse of authority. You see, we need to be willing to explain our position. We need to be willing. It's like a referee, right, Daniel? When you can explain to the coach and he'll listen to you explain, it makes all the difference in the world. You know, hey, hey, just curious. I didn't think he walked. Well, let me tell you what happened here. And, 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 and 
I'm using Daniel because he's the best talker of all refs I've ever had. I love this. I love him as a ref. It's a good example, though, because he's an authority, and I've got a question. He should answer that question. I can't stand a referee that won't answer a question. I just want to ask. Just like a referee can't stand a coach that, 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 you know, just screams and yells all the time. It's a good illustration, though, isn't it? Because I need to be able to explain opposition. Number five, you know you're abusing authority when I'm unmoved by people. Like, here's the illustration. Let me use my profession first, okay? I was in the service, no joke, I know you're not going to believe this, but church, I was actually in the service when I heard a preacher say, you know, I'd be a good pastor if I just loved people. I remember thinking, whoa, you know what, you shouldn't be a pastor. Because if you are unmoved by people, that's an abuse of authority. Can I tell you something, church? You know, I am moved by what Rhonda is going through this morning. I'm moved by that. I'm concerned about her. I mean, I'm, I'm heavy hearted and, and I want to find ways to encourage her. And I've texted her four or five times this morning as I'm a pastor. That, that, that is something I, I, I want to do. I, I don't want to be, you know, I don't want Rhonda to think, uh, pastor, I don't, I don't want to bother you. I know it's Sunday morning. Please forgive me. I know you've got a lot in your mind. I'm glad she didn't text me that. You know why? Cause she knows. She knows she's texted me all morning long. When can we do the service? What's a good time? Pastor, I'm meeting with the funeral home at 2 o'clock. Pastor, pray. It's really hard. And I'm just, it's going to be okay. We're praying for you. It's going to work out. I'll call you at 1 o'clock after the service. I love you. We're praying for you. Why? Because that's ministry. By the way, if you hold a ministry title here, and, and, and you're not more concerned about people than you are your little job, then maybe this is the wrong ministry. To me, it's, it's not about our title and, and our list of responsibilities. It's about people. We've got to be moved by people. It's the same thing for a teacher. If you're teaching a classroom and you're not moved by your students, maybe they have a learning disability. Well, they make it so hard for me to teach the class. I just, I just wish they were like every other student. You're missing it. God's given you a privilege to work with a child. Sure, it's hard. It's tough. But we've got to meet them where they are and work with them and love them and communicate to them. If you're a coach, it's not just about their talent, their ability. I wish he could play like he could play. Maybe if you spent more time with him and mentored him and loved him. Are you with me? When we're unmoved by people, it's abuse of authority. Every person matters to God and every person should matter to you. That's the bottom line. So here it is. You ready? I'm going I'm to finish this sermon. Number three. And I look like we got a lot of notes, but it's, it goes quickly. Number three. Here it is, the message in a nutshell. Here's why, here's where God led me to, to, to teach and preach Sunday one for a reason. Because true greatness is found in serving. That's where it's at. It's found in serving others. And I'm going to show you that in the Bible right now. Matthew chapter 20, beginning in verse number 26. He says these words, and I love this. Jesus says, after he says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. You know that out there in the world, it's out of control. There's abuse of authority. But notice these next few words. It shall not be so among you. I love that. God says, I expect so much more out of you. He looks at his audience. He looks at his disciples. I look at my church today and I say, praise God. Out there, it's rough. 
out in the secular world, in the marketplace, at, at the airport, I mean, wherever it is that is there abuse, sometimes even, sad to say, in the church, it is sad. There's an abuse of authority. But guess what? It shall not be so among gospel life. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Notice that Jesus does not condemn them for their desire to be great. He says, but whosoever would be great among you. Jesus says, greatness is actually your destiny. Deep within the heart of everyone in this room, God puts something in you to do something great with your life. And you're searching for it. And you're wondering, when am I going to find it? I'm about to tell you. It's not going to, it's already really right in front of you. You want to make a difference in this world. You want to have a purpose in this world. You want to live for something that's going to last forever. The desire for greatness is not wrong, but it, it, it can cause people to desire wrongly if we're not careful. And so Jesus said, the greatest is the servant. In God's eyes, the greatest is the greatest servant. The greatest person in our church, in God's eyes, is the greatest servant in our church. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 20 and verse 16, the last shall be first and the first shall be last. So let's bring this together with some of the world's greatest problems because you know what? It gets discouraging, doesn't it? Anybody overwhelmed by the world's problems? I mean, whew, one reason why I like to come to church is I, I get some relief from this old world. <laughs> A lot of problems out there. Amen. You can just ask some of, some of our Law enforcement officers, our, our judge that's here this morning. I mean, they know, they know Garland County's got a lot of issues. I don't know what the top five problems in Garland County are, but I'm going to tell you what the top five problems in the world are. Number one, poverty. Poverty is the number one problem in our world today. 2.8 billion people live on less than $2 a day. And half of those live on less than $1 a day. That's half the population of the world. Number two, child labor. An estimated 211 million children from the age of 5 to 14 work in order to support their families in our world today. It's crazy. Number three, health. Health is a major problem in the world today. 36 million cases of AIDS worldwide and 4 million new cases annually. And that stat comes from a few years ago. Education. 774 million adults in the world are illiterate. They cannot read. You put a Bible in front of them, they wouldn't know what to do with it. Number five, genocide. This is a killing man. This is crazy. All over the world, millions of people are being murdered by their governments and leaders. We're not just talking about Stalin in Russia who killed 60 million or Hitler in Germany that killed 50 million, but even more recently in Rwanda and Cambodia and North Korea and in Nigeria. Genocide. It's overwhelming. It's crazy. What in the world can we do about it? I mean, it's, it, sometimes I, I look at the world today and I think, man, what can I do to help? Well, let me give you some things we, 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 we shouldn't do. Number one, we shouldn't just cry about it. I, I, just, I just think sometimes we do way too much whining. 
You know, we just get upset. It's like the preacher that gets up and just yells and screams and never does anything about it. You know, it's like, it's like the, the newscaster that, 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 that just always talks about the problem. Negative, 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 negative. It's like nothing to solve the problem. That's why most of us don't watch the news anymore, right? It's just disheartening. It's just like, whoa. I mean, it's so negative. We just get upset. I don't recommend that. Number two, I think something else we shouldn't do is complain. Just complain all the time about the problems, you know. High stinking world going to hell in a handbasket. Feels good, doesn't it? Kind of got it off my chest. Going to hell in a handbasket. Hmm. I wonder who came up with that one. I know I've said it before. <laughs> you know, when I was an idiot. <laughs> but, but, but to me, that's just complaining. That's not solving anything. Number three, I don't think we should criticize. Oh, I heard you talk about them people with AIDS. Uh, They wouldn't have AIDS if they just lived moral lives. Okay. (laughs) So that's you, huh? You're the complainer. You're the one that's going to always blame somebody and complain. What about this? What about cynical people? I don't think we should be cynical. Let's be careful, you know, to, to, to have this attitude, it's, it's just, you know, it's never going to get better. It's the fall of man. It's just the way it is. It's going to be downhill all the time. You know, read Genesis. Just be cynical. I think there's only one choice we can make. One life-altering choice that will take you to amazing places. Choose to serve. Choose to have a weekly Kingdom responsibility. I am going to serve. I'm going to forget about myself and I'm going to change. I may not change the world, but I'm going to change my own destiny, my own attitude. Because I know what God wants. What God wants is this. God wants Matthew chapter 20, verse 26. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Let me say it, what I said in the beginning. You will never get your, the wind in your sails spiritually in 2019 until you commit to serve. Your Christian life will always be duty. It will never be delight until you determine to serve God with your whole heart. That's why scripture says, whatsoever my hand finds to do, I'm going to do it with huh? all my might. All my might. I'm going to give it all I've got. I'm going to serve God with my whole mind, heart, body, and soul. God wants you today in full-time ministry. You say, whoa, dude, now you've gone too far. No, I haven't. I'm not talking about God wants you on church staff. I'm talking about wherever you are today, whatever your assignment is, plumber, electrician, mechanic, doctor, lawyer, it doesn't matter. Whatever you're doing, God has you in ministry. You're in full-time ministry. You're ministering to people. You're praying over your clients. You're praying over your, 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 your people, your employees. You're a witness to those around you. This is an amazing calling. You are able to serve Christ when you serve others. True greatness is serving. There's three ways we can do it, three places we can do it. One, we can serve in God's kingdom, amen? And that's what I just mentioned. God's kingdom. That's everywhere. That's all over the place. That's at Walmart. That's where you work. That is everywhere and anywhere. That's on the 
basketball court, you can serve God. You can be different. You can make a difference. Amen. I can change my destiny. Not my eternal destiny, but my destiny as far as greatness. I aspire to be great, church. Don't fault me for that. I want to be great. But I found that greatness is not signing a bunch of Bibles. Greatness is not when everybody gives me a standing ovation. And greatness is not when I get a pack on the back, pat on the back. And greatness is not when everybody prays. Greatness in God's eyes is when I serve. When I find a, a kingdom responsibility and put my hand to the plow. I can serve my family. I can serve my wife. I can serve my daughters. I can serve my, my sons. I can serve them. I can determine it's not about my title, my position. It's not about, I'm the leader here, I'm the boss here. I can, I can actually serve. I can, I can serve Glorianne and her disability. I can serve my wife and sometimes her weariness. I can serve my children sometimes in, in their adolescence and their teenage uh, all the things going on in their lives. I can serve them, spend time with them, minister to them. You say, yeah, but what about your golf game? Forget the stupid golf game. What's it going to matter in heaven if I, what do you call it when, when, you know, what do you call it? What's your handicap? Yeah. Who cares about my stupid handicap? I don't even get it. Why do you call it a handicap? Sounds dumb. I don't even know what my handicap is. I don't golf enough to know, but I will tell you this. I know that I'm I've got a responsibility to serve, and that's great. That's what God calls greatness. And I can serve my church. And I know sometimes we think, you know, yeah, well, where can I serve? You know, is there a, is, you know, when's the next time you're going to be gone, preacher? I'd like to preach. Well, okay. We'll pray about that. But, but I, I'm really thinking about, like, I'm really thinking about our connection our, our connection bulletin here that we have, and we're constantly tweaking this, and it's it's awesome. You, you know, you've got all your deacons and what all they do, and their numbers and their email addresses, and the elders, and and, and then we've got on the back here mini lights and kids lights and Madhouse and Ignite and Team Revolution, and I almost feel like our church needs a revolution of serving on Sundays or throughout the week. I don't know what it is, but I feel as if we went from this church that had too much opportunity and we, we kind of took a break. We, it was easy because, you know, we used to have Sunday night service. So everybody would say, look, you know, I'm, I serve on Sunday mornings and then I just go to church on Sunday night. But then when Sunday night went away, we had two services on Sunday morning. We just kind of got comfortable with going to church and going home. Even though we talked about, hey, you can come one service and serve the other. But it's just like we've lost in the bus ministry. It used to be big and, you know, we used to have a hundred workers and now we've just got three routes and, and, you know, it's just sort of, some of us don't even know we still have one. It's, it's okay. I get it. It's, I understand. But what's happened is we've gotten so comfortable listening to an entertaining preacher feed us that we just sort of treat it like movies. We just go to the movie every Sunday. Let me put a little money in the plate and entertain us, preacher, and make us laugh and give us a few things to talk about in small group, and we'll see you next Sunday. And that's okay. I've probably yet fall for that more than anybody. What I'm saying is, that's not greatness. That's not going to get us anywhere in the kingdom. That's not going to hear the word. We're not going to hear the words, well done, for sitting, soaking, and souring over world problems. And Let's make a difference. Let's go clean a toilet. What? 
Did you just say clean a toilet? Yeah, because when you clean a toilet, you're serving Jesus. See, well, I was thinking more about like, you know, being an elder. Yeah, yeah it's kind of funny. Scott, I, I laugh at preacher, preacher, young preachers that call me and, and they just want a place to preach. They're like, you know, I just, find me a church, Eric. I want to preach. And I'm like, have you, do you go to a nursing home every Sunday? Well, I, I want a paycheck. Go find you a nursing home to preach at and then call me. Serve. And then grow and let God open doors. Amen? I'm just simply saying, sometimes I think we, we, are, we think greatness is the limelight. Greatness is the paycheck. Greatness is the title. Greatness is recognition. No, greatness is nobody knows but God. I, I just find me a little, I got me a little place at the church where I, I, it's a little area and, and they ask me to pick the weeds and keep it mowed and I just do it. Nobody knows I go. I don't care if anybody knows. I just get it done. It looks really nice on Sundays. I heard somebody bragging about it the other day. Man, this place is looking nice. And I'm like, I got to do that. I don't need appreciation. He knows. That's service. That's greatness. That's greatness. That's what God says greatness is. And I'm simply sharing with you the most exciting news of the year. And that is gospel light is not my thing. Gospel light is our thing. Listen, I, I know that sometimes we, we say it like, you know, yeah, Eric, I go to your church. No, no, you don't go to my church. You go to our church. It's not my nursery. It's our nursery. This is not my worship team. This is our worship team. This is not my building. This is our building. Can I get an amen? We're in this thing together. This is our church. This is our campus. And this year, the theme is the year of the church. Last year, it was the year of the child. We did great. We made great strides. We got a new children's pastor. We've made a lot of, uh, uh, we've done a lot of remodeling. We've got a new air condition, beautiful air condition over there. We're continuing to make changes and we're working toward, we got a new playground and, and, and a lot of great things are happening. I think the year of the child, we made great progress. Now it's the year of the church. We're going to talk about our campus for the first four months. How can we be, be better stewards of what we have? How can we keep better care of our properties? We're going to be asking folks to volunteer 30 minutes a week, an hour a week. Maybe some, maybe, and this is big. I don't expect very many to be able to give two or three hours, but 30 minutes to an hour. I can see all of us being able to do that. I can see some of us saying, you know what? I want to be a part of how I can help our campus to become a better place. Maybe I can help to buy something or give to something. And we'll talk to you about that later. That's coming later. But then the next four months, we're going to talk about our campus, our community. How does gospel light impact our community? How can we serve our community? How can we come alongside Gethsemane House, Brother Jeff, and serve our community and those who are struggling with addictions like we all are? Just some of us, it's, you know, we're willing to admit it. I have them, you have them, we all have them. Amen. Thank you. And uh, how can we serve our police department? How can we serve in our homeless, the homeless part of the, how can we do better job on Thanksgiving day? You get me. Are you with me? How can we serve our community? Then the last four months, we're going to talk about our calling. How can we become more evangelistic? How can we spread the gospel in more strategic ways? Listen, church, if you want to be like Jesus, you got to serve. On the way out, we're going to give you a calendar. Take it. 
pray over it. Ask God to give you wisdom as to how you can, you can get a weekly kingdom responsibility. And by the way, I'm probably not the best person to ask. To be honest, I have a lot of responsibility. But most of it is preaching and praying and visiting and counseling. And that's a lot of stuff that you can't do. I know that. Or you can pray, but I know there's a lot of things that I have to do that nobody else really needs to worry about. But we have a lot of needs here. And that's why we have these deacons. And we have other elders. And, and that's who you need to ask. And I guarantee you, if there's a deacon that you ask if you can help and he says no, report him to me and we'll undeacon him. Because every deacon knows they are leader of servants. That's the highest calling there is. Throughout this auditorium, I believe there's some of the most amazing servants on planet earth. I do. I believe that. We just need to get busy. Humbly and faithfully serving God. Look at the last two verses in our text. One more time. Look at verse 27. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to serve, but, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus set the bar high, didn't he? He's the greatest servant there ever was. He left the greatest position, heaven, sitting at the right hand of the Father. And Jesus left that, came down to earth with us to serve us, to give his life. And Jesus says, that's greatness. And I want to be like Jesus, don't you? And so there's many opportunities we can, we can become a part of. So how do we look at this in closing? How do we look at this? Well, can I give you, can I tell you how I look at it to help me? This is really cool. I'm going to put on the screen a verse that changed my life. It's Colossians chapter 3, verse 23 and 24. And it says this. Whatever you do, whatever you do, work hard. Work hard. Heartily, as for the Lord and not for men. Knowing that from the Lord, you will receive the inheritance from the Lord. Not from men, but from Jesus. You will receive the inheritance of your reward. You know why? Because you are serving the Lord Christ. Wow, that means I don't need man's applause. I don't need it. I mean, if it comes, it's nice. And sometimes it encourages me when somebody gives, but but I don't need that because I'm serving Christ. I'm serving Jesus, not man. And this is what, this is what's changed my life. It's given me a different perspective. It's helped me to understand that I'm serving Jesus Christ. When I serve my wife, I'm serving Jesus. When I serve Glory Ann, I'm serving Jesus. When I serve Mo and Joe and Zoe and Chloe, I'm serving Jesus. When I serve my missionary, Scott and Christy, I'm serving Jesus. When I serve my, my, my te- our teenagers, I'm serving Jesus. When I, when I mow a lawn at the church, I'm serving Jesus. When I change a dirty diaper, I'm serving Jesus. When I clean a toilet, whatever, I'm serving, I'm serving Jesus. It doesn't get any better than that. That's the highest, greatest calling there is. Church, we've got to wrap our minds around that. We've got to meditate on it. I'm serving Christ. He gave his life for me. I can give him some time. I can serve him. What a motivation. 
And it reminds me of the importance of being faithful. My, my daughter and I, I'll close with this. My daughter and I, we've kind of started something. It's pretty cool. So here it is. Almost every night, Chloe will say, and she's so sweet, Chloe, I'm going I'm to do it like she does it, and I'm not exaggerating. So how was your day, Daddy? If my kids call me Daddy, it, I don't know what it is about Daddy. Dad's way too formal, you know what I mean? So how was your day, Daddy? And I'll go through my day with her. Like yesterday, last night, before we went to bed. How was your day, Daddy? That's good, sweetheart. I got up early and had took care of Glory Ann. We go through every part of the day. And then I went to the uh, retirement home with Sonia and Scott and Julie and Cinda. And by the way, it was cool. After the service, one of the ladies came up to me and she goes... I have an annuity that I would like to give to the church. How do I do that? And I'm like, <laughs> I, can, I can help you with that, you know. That was so sweet, though. She was so excited. I don't know how much it is, but we'll find out. It's just cool how God works. And then I said, and then I went to the church, and I worked on my sermon. And then I did some marriage counseling. And then I got the phone call from Rhonda. And then we rushed to the hospital. We spent two or three hours there. And then I left Carol Ann up there with Rhonda. And then I went out and ran a few errands. And then I picked my wife up. And then we went out and ran a few errands. And then we went home. And, and then I did this. And I said, so it was a good day. How was your day, sweetheart? Well, I woke up, went to worship practice. And then because you guys had to go up to the hospital, I had to babysit Gloria Ann. So I took her to the park and we played for a couple hours. And then and she went through her whole day. And you know what's interesting about it is? Sometimes when my day is all about me, it's a bad day. When it's all about me, when it's I did this for me and I did that for me and I did this and I worked out for me and I did this. and I, It's just like, I don't know, it just seems like a wasted day when it's all about me. But when it's all about you, when it's all about her and my kids, I don't know. I just feel like that might have been a great day. I think the greatest really is to serve and not to be served. Let's bow our heads, shall we? With our heads bowed and eyes closed, I just would like to encourage each one of us today as we sing a song of invitation, and as we worship together, that you would feel that it's a moment, a time to respond to the message. The message today was about Real greatness. Serving. So maybe what we could do is just pray about where it is God would have us to serve. 30 minutes, an hour, 15 minutes. Maybe serve our wives, our children more, our community. I don't know what God will do, but... And remember, I'm probably not the best person to ask, but there's a good number of deacons and elders here too that can direct you. I mean, I can help... But I just want you to know that I don't have all the answers anymore. I used to. But there's so many good people around here. So many wonderful people that just would love to work with you in ministry. In the community, on the campus, wherever it is God would call us. So as God leads, you respond, whether it's to worship, to come to the altar. Let's stand together, shall we? Father.
I love you. And as we stand and worship and respond, I pray for your Holy Spirit to take total control. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.
gift, your service through us, through Jesus. God, help us to leave this place and look for ways to serve you, to serve your kingdom, to serve our neighbors, to serve our family, to serve those around us, and to serve our church, to serve those who are in this building. God, we love you and thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Before we leave, let's read this verse together. This is Jesus' last command to his disciples before his death. And let's challenge each other. Let's send each other out with this verse. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. You are dismissed to go serve. Oh, to be like you, give all I have.